If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. If you've ever been to Paris, one thing you may notice is the large number of posters that are plastered all over walls across the city. This is actually something that's been in practice for centuries. Everything from political messages, to lost dog flyers, to posters promoting the city's vibrant art scene. But one morning in August 1623, a particularly unusual series of notices appeared overnight that caused a different sort of public sensation. One of these posters declared, We deputies of the Principal College of the Brethren of the Rosy Cross are staying visibly and invisibly in this town by the grace of the Most High, to whom the heart of the just turns. We show and teach, without books or masks, how to speak the language of every country where we wish to be, to bring our fellow man out of the error of death. Other such placards describe the advantages of memberships into a clandestine order of enlightened individuals who shared the secret wisdom of the ancients. Strangely, none of these notices gave any direct instructions on how to actually join this shadowy organization. Only that the truly worthy would be recognized and contacted. Although many Parisians were intrigued by these notices, the Catholic Church was not amused. After all, they had already been through a half-century of conflicts with a lot of other heretic Protestants. So anytime any sort of upstart religion appeared, the church reacted with hostility. But despite the Catholic opposition, this group, known as the Rosicrucians, had already managed to gain a foothold in other parts of Europe, including Germany, the Netherlands, and England. All of which just so happened to be hotbeds of the Protestant Revolution. Immediately following these initiation posters appearing, the French church issued their own proclamations denouncing them. They claimed that the Rosicrucian order was nothing but a group of, quote, pretended invisible ones, and more directly, a coven of witches who had made pacts with Satan. They also made even more explicit claims that 36 deputies of the Rosy Cross convened in the provincial city of Lyon the day following the poster's appearance, during which these disciples of Satan went about dividing up the globe into six equal parts, which would fall under satanic rule if the order wasn't crushed immediately. This same Catholic warning also went on to claim these disciples of Satan celebrated with a witch's Sabbath, during which they were greeted by a demonic prince of hell who offered to bestow upon them the powers of black magic in return for their loyalty to the devil. It then went on to explain that six missionaries from this group were living in secret among all the God-fearing Christians in Paris, right that very minute, and that these people were biding their time for their moment to rain hell on earth. Keep in mind, not everyone in Paris took these recruitment posters for the Rosicrucians quite so seriously. 
One author wrote a satirical commentary entitled The Marquis de France, in which he gave a rather tongue-in-cheek description of an encounter with some mysterious man who showed up in a Paris hotel, only to later vanish in a puff of smoke right before the hotel keeper's eyes. Immediately after, all the gold the men had paid the hotel owner transformed back into base metals, once the spell of alchemy had been broken. But despite such mockery, the church still took the threat of the Rosicrucians very seriously. The church implored citizens to remain vigilant for these witches living among them. They asked that anyone who loved their church, their king, and their god to immediately report any suspected members of the Rosicrucian order. Now, it's certainly possible to argue how good of a job the church did in stomping out the Rosicrucians in Paris. During this time, no members of the Rosicrucians were ever brought forth and punished. This was either because the order never gained a foothold in the city, or perhaps they simply continued to operate in secret. Or maybe, as some historians have suggested, the whole thing was nothing but a hoax. The Rosicrucians are one of the more unusual secret societies in history. That's in part because there are many scholars who even today insist that the Order's founder, Christian Rosenkreutz, was a fictional character. According to the official biography, Rosenkreutz was a German aristocrat born in 1378. He was orphaned at age four and raised in a monastery. As a young boy, he set out on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land with a monk, but the monk died en route, leaving the boy all alone. So the boy took it upon himself to continue traveling through the Middle East where he learned so-called esoteric wisdom. In the official telling of the story, the young Rosenkreutz made his way to Damascus where some sages directed him to a city called Damkar. This is a city that has never been identified and, according to most scholars, never really existed either. It was in Damkar that Rosenkreutz met a group of learned men who received this precocious boy not as a stranger, but as someone whom they had long expected. They showed him many secrets of alchemy, mathematics, physics, and, most importantly, a document referred to as the Book Monday, which purportedly contained the secrets of the universe. Rosenkreutz decided to translate this book into Latin in order to share it with the world. From Damkar, he then traveled to Egypt, where he studied even more metaphysical arts, and was introduced to the world of magic. In Morocco, he learned about the ancient teachings of the Kabbalah. The more Rosenkreutz learned, the more he integrated it all together into one central philosophy, which would become known after his purported death as Rosicrucianism. In 1403, Rosenkreutz returned to Germany, where he erected a sanctuary called the Sanctus Spiritus, and founded the Fraternity of the Rose Cross, a.k.a. Rosicrucianism. The name Rosenkreutz can actually be broken down into the German words for rose and cross, which is just one of many reasons a lot of historians believe the man never really existed at all. The rose and cross are both symbols that appear often in Christian allegories and are thought to represent the Virgin Mary and Christ. Martin Luther's coat of arms contains a Rosenkreuz for just one example. When Rosenkreuz's tomb was opened 120 years after his death, his followers were amazed to discover Rosenkreuz's body was in a perfect state of preservation. There are even some stories that claim Rosenkreuz never died at all, 
having learned the secret of immortality, and that he went on to assume many other identities, including the Count of St. Germain, whom I talked about in a previous episode, or even the identity of noted philosopher Sir Francis Bacon. Back in the early 1600s, three anonymously published books appeared describing the life and travels of Christian Rosenkreutz. These original manifestos combine references to the Jewish Kabbalah, Hermeticism, alchemy, and Christian mysticism. Their authorship has sometimes been attributed to a Lutheran theologian named Johann Valentin Andreas. Although it's never been conclusively proven, he wrote them. Although today there are those who cast doubt on the Rosicrucians' origins, one thing that can't be denied is that the order still exists today. In fact, several such groups still exist, all of which call themselves Rosicrucians. All of which is to say that whether the origins of the Rosicrucians is legitimate or not, you can't deny the lasting influence the group has had throughout history. There is one notable landmark in rural Georgia, of all places, that some people think were built by the Rosicrucians. And it was built to last forever. The Georgia Guidestones are a massive granite monument erected in 1980 that contains a series of coded messages. The most ominous of which all appears to call for the eradication of nearly all human life on Earth. I'm Nate Hale, hiding out in my secret bunker until all this blows over. And this is The Conspirators. One afternoon in June 1979, a man calling himself R.C. Christian strolled into the Elberton Granite Finishing Company in Elbert County, Georgia. He claimed to be a representative of a small group of loyal Americans who were interested in commissioning a monument that would act as a combination compass, clock, and calendar, and that this structure should be built to withstand what he described as catastrophic events. We don't know a lot about this mysterious man. The company's president, Joe Fenley, was the person who greeted R.C. Christian that day. He is only one of two men who knew Christian's true identity, and Fenley swore that he would take the man's secret to his grave. The most we have is a vague description of the mysterious R.C. Christian given by someone else who met him once, and that he was older and balding with a fringe of white hair. One of the only other things we know about him is that he had money, and a lot of it. Beyond that, the man's identity remains a mystery. At the time, Fenley was busy taking care of the week's payroll and was only half listening to the man as he described what he was looking for. But when the man started talking about wanting massive slabs of granite cut that were much larger than anything the company had ever quarried before, Fenley perked up. At first, Fenley thought the man was a nut, so he gave him a quote several times higher than any project the company had ever given before. The job would require special tools, heavy equipment, and paid consultants to get every detail correct. Much to Fenley's surprise, the man agreed. In fact, the monument's final cost came to half a million dollars in 1980 money, which, factoring in inflation, would be about $1.6 million today. Christian then went to the local bank in Elberton and worked with banker Wyatt Martin to arrange the finances. 
Like Fenley, Martin thought the man was off his rocker, but soon came to realize how serious he really was. In an interview Martin gave, he said he even tried to discourage Christian by telling him what a waste of money it was, and that he might as well throw the cash in the gutters. Christian just looked at him sadly and shook his head like he was feeling sorry for him. Then he replied, You don't understand. Martin took Christian to the town square where he showed him the largest project the Alberton Granite Company had ever undertaken, the Bicentennial Memorial Fountain. This fountain included 13 granite panels, each about 2 by 3 feet. But the project Christian was describing was something much larger and way more complex. Over the years, Martin remained in loose contact with Christian, although he steadfastly refused to ever divulge the man's true identity. Finley died a few years after the monument was built. Most of the research you'll do on the Georgia Guidestones mention that Martin is in his 80s, although I'm not certain if he's still alive at this point. R.C. Christian presented Fenley with a scale model of the Guidestones in 10 pages of specifications. He said that the group he represented had been planning them for 20 years, and that it was imperative that both he and the group he worked for remained anonymous. The five acres of land the Guidestones would be built on were purchased from farm owner Wayne Mullinax on October 1, 1979. Christian chose the location after circling the area in a private plane, then being led to the exact spot by Martin and Fenley. Mullinax and his children were also granted lifetime cattle grazing rights on the property. When Christian returned to Martin's office Monday morning, Martin explained that if they were going to proceed with the finances, he would have to know the man's true identity. R.C. Christian made Martin sign a confidentiality agreement before doing so. Once the transaction was complete, Martin agreed to destroy all documents that might lead to the man's true identity. He also said Christian paid for the monument by sending money from different banks all over the country in order to make the paper trail that much more difficult to follow. After Christian left town, he continued to correspond with Martin periodically although Martin claimed every time he received a letter or postcard from the man, it came from a different city across the country. On March 22, 1980, the monument was unveiled in front of a crowd of a few hundred people. Later, Christian would transfer ownership of the land and guidestones to Elbert County. The monument stands 19 feet 3 inches tall at its tallest point. It consists of four large slabs of stone, each of which stands 16 feet 4 inches tall, with a capstone laid on top. The stones are so large they had to hire a couple of master stone cutters to smooth them. The stones are also precisely oriented to the stars. The east and west corners of the monument precisely track sunrise and sunset, while a slot cut into one of the slabs marks the winter and summer solstice. A shaft drilled through the central stone marks Polaris, the north star while another slit cut through the capstone is set precisely to mark the noonday sun. But although the engineering it took to turn this massive hunk of granite into a compass and calendar is quite a feat in itself, it's the messages written on the stones that set off the biggest alarm bells for some people. When the monument was unveiled, some supporters like Yoko Ono praised their messages as an uplifting call to rational thinking while opponents immediately declared them to be either the work of Satanists or the New World Order. 
Either way, opponents of the monument were convinced the group behind the Guidestones were hell-bent on bringing about the end of the world. So what do these messages say? Well, for that you have a lot of options to read them. The ten lines of text repeat themselves all over the stones and appear in English, Spanish, Swahili, Chinese, Arabic, Hindi, Hebrew, and Russian, the eight most widely spoken languages on earth. Which would seem to indicate the group behind the monument's construction wanted their message to be as widely read as possible. There's also a sort of mission statement that appears in English, Egyptian hieroglyphics, classical Greek, Sanskrit, and Babylonian cuneiform that reads, Let these be guidestones to an age of reason. The main part of the stones, though, are the Ten Commandments written on each slab. If you read up from the bottom, the first nine messages are as follows. Be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. Prize truth, beauty, love. Seeking harmony with the infinite. Balance personal rights with social duties. Avoid petty laws and useless officials. Let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Unite humanity with a living new language. Guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Now, those nine messages taken by themselves might not seem too controversial. But taken in context with the last message, the very first if you decide to read from top to bottom, they all take on a much more sinister connotation. That top message reads, Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Now, if you're keeping score in order to actually maintain humanity at that level, that would mean that most of the people on Earth would have to die, or perhaps be killed. This is the part that opponents of the Georgia Guidestones really take umbrage with. Some people believe the Guidestones are actually a directive for a global genocide, wiping out as much as 80-90% to 90% of the human race. We'll talk more about the stones' origins and possible interpretations of their meaning after a brief word from our sponsors. If you're like me, you're glad the world seems to be getting back into a more normal groove. It's nice to be able to get back out in the world and see my friends and family again, or just take a walk with my dog or do all the things that got put on hold over the past year. I know we're not out of the woods yet, but one thing that helps set my mind at ease is listening to music, and when I throw on my Raycon wireless earbuds, I can take my tunes with me wherever I go. Sometimes music is all you need to get your day going, or perhaps you might want something soothing to help you meditate and plan your day. Depending on my mood, I listen to all sorts of things, classical, jazz, hip-hop, classic rock, and of course, my favorite podcasts. Let me tell you right now, Raycons are among the best way to listen. They come with a bunch of gel tips for your comfort, and unlike some other brands, they don't stick out of your ears. Raycons have a 32-hour battery life, so you can listen whenever you want and do so for a very long time. They also started about half the price of many other premium audio brands, but they still sound just as good. Not only that, but Raycons come with a 45-day happiness guarantee, so you really can't lose. Give them a try and see what I mean. So what are you waiting for? Create your own soundtrack with Raycon. Right now, Conspirators listeners can get 15% off their order at buyraycon.com slash tc. 
That's buyraycon.com slash TC to save 15%. Buyraycon.com slash TC. And now, back to the show. Are the Georgia Guidestones really calling for the end of the world as we know it? That's a matter of interpretation. The only people who probably could say for certain would be the group represented by the mysterious R.C. Christian. But to date, none of their identities have ever been revealed. A few feet west of the monument, an additional explanatory stone is set into the ground. This tablet describes the different languages that were used on the stone, as well as giving a number of facts about the size and weight of the monument, along with details regarding the stone's astrological features. At the center of this stone is a message in English, let these be guidestones to an age of reason. There's also an inscription referring to the placement of a time capsule to be buried underneath the tablet with blank spaces on the stone intended for filling in the dates upon which the capsule was buried. But since those dates have never been added, it remains unclear whether a capsule was ever actually buried. Grammar aficionados will also note that this tablet actually has a few punctuation problems, as well as a misspelling of the word pseudonym following the name R.C. Christian. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So who built these things anyway, and why? Some historians, including author Raymond Wiley, who wrote the book The Georgia Guidestones, America's Most Mysterious Monument, are convinced our friends the Rosicrucians are behind the monument's construction. Just consider the name R.C. Christian. R.C. could easily be short for Rose and Cross. Rose, Cross, Christian. Or if you flip it around, Christian Rosenkreutz. In fact, if you look at the monument from above, it even sort of resembles a rose on top of a cross. The idea that the Rosicrucians are behind the Georgia Guidestones does seem to mesh up with a lot of other known facts as well. As I mentioned, the group is dedicated to following the teachings of their founder, Christian Rosenkreutz, who encouraged his followers to seek spiritual enlightenment and guide humanity to a higher purpose. After the group's founding, each of the early members took an oath to both heal the sick without payment and to maintain the secrecy of the organization. Although the Catholic Church demonized the Rosicrucians, if you ask them, they'll swear they only have altruistic motives. A big part of the spiritual awakening they were dedicated to involved guiding humanity away from its own destruction. The Rosicrucians also believe in developing the individual's mental faculties through meditation and techniques supposedly picked up by Christian Rosenkreutz in the Middle East. Although there have been some critics who have claimed this mental training actually includes developing psychic abilities, including psychokinesis, the power to move objects with one's mind, astral projection, the ability to travel great distances by projecting your thoughts, and perhaps most shockingly of all, the power to control other people's minds. There are some conspiracy theorists who have tried to make a connection between the Grosicrucians and one of the most famous assassinations in history. In 1968, assassin Sirhan Sirhan shot and killed then-presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy. 
There are some who believe Sirhan may have been under some sort of mind control based on his disoriented mental state right before and after the shooting. One other curious thing to note about Sirhan Sirhan is that he was a Rosicrucian. But before you start dusting off your tinfoil hat, you'll have to also consider that Sirhan Sirhan only became a Rosicrucian through a mail order service. He signed up to join the order through a common mail-order advertisement that appeared in the back of a lot of science fiction and hobbyist magazines. Those ads purported to ask for donations to a mysterious order that promised to grant you mystical powers and abilities. Which is certainly the sort of thing that might attract someone suffering from schizophrenia, as Sirhan Sirhan purportedly was. As far as anyone knows, Sirhan Sirhan never actually had anything to do with the Rosicrucians beyond that. If you talk to some actual Rosicrucians today, they'll tell you a lot of what people believe about the group is pure nonsense. For one thing, Rosicrucians don't actually refer to themselves as Rosicrucians. They prefer to describe themselves as students of the philosophy. And that philosophy is actually one of aspiration and enlightenment. Keep in mind, Rosicrucianism is still an offshoot of Christianity. Although their personal philosophy involves a different take on Jesus than a lot of other Christian sects believe. To the Rosicrucians, Jesus was a man who ascended to become divine, rather than being born the Son of God. This is a key distinction because if he were merely the Son of God, then that doesn't leave a lot of room for others who follow him to aspire to, other than to simply worship him. But if anyone can follow in his footsteps and grow to achieve what Jesus did, then that gives people something to work toward. Today, there are certainly a lot of different groups currently using the term Rosicrucians in their names. And all of those have their own variations on their beliefs. But if you were to look back to the original manifestos written during the group's foundation, the key messages the Order tries to convey is all about achieving a sort of spiritual and mental growth for the betterment of society. None of which exactly sounds like a call to wipe humanity off the face of the earth. The more hardcore opponents of the Georgia Guidestones see a much more sinister intent behind them. A conspiracy theorist named Mark Dice has demanded that the Guidestones be smashed into a million pieces, claiming they are built of a deep satanic origin, and that R.C. Christian's group are actually a part of the New World Order. I'll undoubtedly talk in more detail about the New World Order on other episodes, but the short version goes that the New World Order is supposedly a secret globalist agenda to rule the world through an authoritarian one-world government. Conspiracy theorists who believe the NWO is behind the Georgia Guidestones also believe one of the main ways they'll achieve this goal is to murder most of humanity. Currently, there is a 24-hour surveillance camera monitored by the Albert County Sheriffs watching the Georgia Guidestones. Although some reports claim the cameras are just for show and aren't even powered on. But either way, that hasn't prevented vandals from sneaking up in the middle of the night and defacing the tablets. In 2008, someone painted over the stones with polyurethane paint and graffiti that said things like, Death to the New World Order. Then in September 2014, the Albert County Maintenance Department contacted the FBI when the stones were defaced with more graffiti that included the phrase, I am Isis, Goddess of Love. There are plenty of other theories about the origins of the Guide Stones as well. One common theory as to the identity of R.C. Christian is that he is none other than media mogul Ted Turner. This stems from a few things we know about Turner that appear to fit with what we know about the Georgia Guidestones. For one, Turner is mega rich, which would certainly help explain where the money for the monument came from. 
He also hails from Atlanta, which is only 100 miles away from Elberton County. He's also a major environmentalist, and has made statements in interviews claiming that the Earth would be better off with a population density of between 250 to 300,000 people. He's also talked about the threat of a coming apocalypse wiping out much of humanity. One alternate theory as to the identity of R.C. Christian is that he was actually Joe Fendley. Some people have suggested that the Guidestones were merely a publicity stunt to promote business for the Elberton Finishing Company, while others have tied yet another well-known conspiracy into the monument by pointing out that Joe Fenley was a member of a different group that often gets lumped into conspiracy theories. You see, Joe Fenley was a Freemason. The story of the Freemasons is a subject for another show, but if you want to travel even further down that particular rabbit hole... I should also mention that two of the symbols you'll see in a lot of Freemason iconography are the rose and the cross. Putting aside all the Freemason business, back in the early days of the monument's construction, rumors began flying that Fenley had cooked up the entire story with Wyatt Martin to drum up business for the Granite Company, as well as tourism to the town. In fact, the gossip grew so toxic that both men agreed to take a lie detector test at the Alberton Civic Center. The scandal faded after both men passed, only to be replaced by yet another conspiracy, that the monument was actually built by Satan worshippers. One story goes that one of the sandblasters who worked on the monument swore he heard unearthly voices and strange music as he worked. The line on the tablet about uniting humanity with a new living language sparked some local ministers to warn people of the coming of the Antichrist. Since the book of Revelations purportedly warns people of a common tongue, and a one-world government being all part of the Antichrist's sinister plans. It wasn't long after the stones were unveiled that they became a hot spot for other sorts of paranormal phenomenon. A coven of witches adopted the Guidestones as one of their favorite gathering spots to perform rituals. At least one warlock witch wedding has been performed on the location. There were also unfounded rumors about a number of chickens being sacrificed in the shadow of the Guidestones. A 1981 article that appeared in a UFO magazine claimed the Georgia Guidestones were actually meant to be viewed from above and would act as the perfect landing zone for E.T. Back in 1986, someone using the name R.C. Christian published a book titled Common Sense Renewed that talks about the use of eugenics to guide human reproduction. Basically, the author was arguing about who should or shouldn't be allowed to breed for the betterment of society although it's impossible to know if this was the same R.C. Christian who built the Georgia Guidestones, or if it was just someone using the name to cash in. Just a reminder, though, one of the other decrees written on the Guidestones does mention the need to guide reproduction wisely. Author and filmmaker Jay Weedner is firmly in the camp that the Rosicrucians are behind the stones. Although he believes the group isn't secretly plotting some mass genocide, Rather, Wiedner thinks the Stones' creators intended them to be a warning against a coming global catastrophe. At the time when Wiedner was first writing about the Guidestones, he actively worried about a 2012 solar storm that he feared would wipe out humanity. Obviously, that never came to pass. But there are still plenty of other existential threats that threaten everyone's lives. Just look at the current COVID pandemic. Then there's everything else possible. Natural disasters even more deadly diseases, global climate change, or even a massive asteroid hitting the Earth and wiping out everyone the same way that happened to the dinosaurs. There really are any number of things people worry about that could suddenly cause a mass extinction event. 
Author Brad Meltzer has pointed out that back in 1980, when the Georgia Guidestones were built, there was yet another looming threat a lot of people had on their minds. The Cold War with the Soviet Union was still going on at the time, and there were still plenty of people worried about the possibility of nuclear annihilation. In any event, it seems most likely the monument was meant as a permanent set of guidelines for what humanity should do to rebuild society after such a massive catastrophe. One last question about the Georgia Guidestones you may be asking yourself is why Georgia of all places? Some people have suggested it might be as simple as the fact that the Guidestones are in Ted Turner's backyard. While others have pointed to a number of predictions that have occurred over the years about a coming massive upheaval in the Earth's surface. Back in the early 20th century, mystic Edgar Cayce predicted the planet was rapidly headed toward a time of devastating changes to the Earth's surface. These changes would destroy and submerge most of the coastal states, including New York, California, and Florida. What remains of humanity after this global disaster would have to gather and rebuild society in whatever land still existed. According to this final theory, one of the only places left in the United States after this coming global catastrophe would be rural Georgia. Right where the Georgia Guidestones stand. The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, an entirely fictional identity. Thanks so much for listening. I have some new Patreon supporters to thank. Thank you to Joe and Stephanie for signing up and helping support the show. Just a reminder, the patrons to the show get access to all sorts of nifty bonuses, including stickers, magnets, t-shirts, and our exclusive bonus mini-episodes. If you're interested in helping support the show, I'll put a link in the show notes. Another great way you can help support The Conspirators is to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you're not on Apple, not to worry. We're also available on Spotify, Stitcher, and most of the other places you get your podcasts. We also have a website, theconspiratorspodcast.com, where you can listen to our entire back catalog of shows. I also encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or our Facebook page. You can also send me an old-fashioned email at theconspiratorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. And I hope you'll be back next time.